Well, good morning. God is good? And all the time? Wow. Are you guys excited to be here today? Man, the, uh, the, you guys that, that got baptized today, your testimonies were amazing. Thank you. Uh, thank you for your willingness just to tell us and let us, yeah, give them a hand. Praise the Lord for that. Think about, you know, baptism is just an opportunity for them to tell people they've, they've decided to follow Jesus. And, uh, you know, for me, that, that's been a long time. It seems like those, uh, uh, I'm getting old, you know, and I, I don't like it. But uh, turn me to, to Psalms, Psalm chapter 34. And I uh, uh, just want to welcome you here this morning. My name is John. I'm blessed to be the pastor here at Hallmark. And if you're new here, I would love the opportunity to meet you. My wife, Joy, and I will be out in the foyer as soon as church is over. And love to have a chance to get to know you. And I just want to say thank you for being here today. And thank you for uh, worshiping with us today. We are in week three of our series called Psalms of the Season. And so we've just picked some selected psalms that we're walking through. And Pastor Dave preached a great message last week on Psalm 91. The week before, we were in Psalm 95. And let me encourage you, don't miss next Sunday. It's going to be a great Sunday, and we're going to be in Psalm 23. We're going to have communion together. And uh, so we'll encourage you to be here next Sunday. And uh, really, you know, there's like six Sundays left in the year. So maybe you could commit to be here every Sunday for six weeks because I know Ben and the worship team have a lot of special music planned and some great things, but next week we'll be in Psalm 23. Now, um, hold your spot in Psalm 34 and then go back a little bit to 1 Samuel 22. Okay, and as you go to 1 Samuel 22, I'm going to give you the context there because Psalm 34 um, is a song written by David. But I think that we can understand and maybe get the gravity and the weight of this psalm a little more if we get the context of it. So in 1 Samuel 16, um, Daniel, or excuse me, David has been anointed the king. Remember Samuel the prophet goes to Jesse's house. He goes to Jesse's house and uh, all the older brothers, the good looking brothers, uh, they're, they're passed over. Like God says, not that one, not that one, not that one. Finally they go get David, the small ruddy one, out in the, in the field watching the sheep. He comes in, Samuel says, God tells Samuel, this is the man, this is the one I've chosen, this is the next king of Israel. They anoint him as king of Israel. Later in that chapter, in, in chapter 16, uh, King Saul is angry and they, they, they decide that maybe this guy David could come to the, the palace, play the harp, and it would make Saul feel a little better. And so that's what takes place. And then in chapter 17, the great story of David defeating Goliath. And the, the great phrase where David says, is there not a cause? And he goes and he destroys Goliath in the name of the Lord, in the name of Jehovah, and this great victory. And then in Psalm, or excuse me, 1 Samuel 18, all the people are shouting, Saul has killed his thousands, David his ten thousands. And from that moment, Saul is jealous, Saul is envious, and Saul wants to destroy David. Because remember what happened in chapter 16. David is anointed as the next king. It will not be Saul's son, Jonathan. And so uh, Saul is angry, he's jealous. And in 1 Samuel chapter 19, as David plays the harp to soothe King Saul, Saul tries to kill him and throws his spear at him. 
David dodges, runs out. Later in that chapter, uh, King Saul sends soldiers to, to David's house to pull him out of bed, to bring him in the night so that he can kill him. But David escapes. Now, I'm not for sure if this is true or not, but according to Babylon B, they're reporting that possibly the reason that Saul tried to kill David was because David played Christmas music before Thanksgiving. <laughs> I, now, that's what they're reporting. I don't know if that's accurate, all right? But in, so the story continues in 1 Samuel 20. He, he again tries to kill, now this time Saul tries to kill his own son Jonathan. Because Jonathan is defending and Jonathan is loyal to David. And the reason Jonathan is loyal to David is not just because they're good friends, because Jonathan realizes that God has anointed David as the new king. And if that's what God wanted, then that's what Jonathan was going to do. It wasn't just about friendship. It wasn't just about loyalty to David. It was about loyalty to the Lord, to Jehovah. And so Saul tries to kill his own son because his son wants to follow the will of God. And then in 1 Samuel chapter 21, uh, David flees and he goes to the area called Gath. This is the area controlled by the, the Philistines. And as he approaches them, he's brought before the leader. And, and, and some of your texts in Psalms 34 probably tell you that this is when David acted like a madman before Abimelech. Okay, and so you remember the story that happens in 1 Samuel chapter 21. So that's all the context leading up to Psalm 34. But let's read a couple of verses in 1 Samuel 22. The first two verses. So this is after he's acted crazy and the king, uh, the leader of the Philistine army is like, ah, he's no threat to us. I know he killed Goliath, but he's crazy now. Let him be, basically is what takes place. And so here's the context of Psalm 34. 1 Samuel 22 verses 1 and 2. David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him, and everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them, and there were 400 men with him. So understand the context of what's taking place. David is running for his life. But look at the description that he gives that his new, you know, this army that he's now commanding, these 400 men. Do you see the three words that it uses to describe these people that are hiding in the cave, running from the king with all the power? They were in distress, they were discontented, and they were in debt. Doesn't this sound like a great group to lead, right? Now, you don't have to raise your hand on this, but how many of you would fall into one of those three categories? Distress discontented, or debt, okay? Again, we're not going to ask you to raise your hand on those three things, but I wonder how it may picture a lot of us. David, listen, we have to understand this before we get to the text this morning. David, who's been anointed king by God, has done absolutely nothing wrong, and yet here he is hiding in a cave, running for his life from King Saul. You see, the Bible never tells us as followers of God or the followers of Jesus Christ that we're not going to have trouble. That we're not going to be maybe distressed or discontented or in debt. That there are going to be issues or not. There are going to be problems in our life and we're all going to face, we're, we're all going to, you know, for the image this morning is David is hiding in the cave. Running for his life. Waiting and waiting. 
for God to show up. You ever felt like David before? Just, God, I remember you anointed me king. I, I killed the giant for you. I, I went to the palace for you. I played for the king for you, Lord, and, and this is what I get? I'm stuck in a cave with 400 people who are obviously dysfunctional. They're in debt, they're in distress, and they're discontented. That doesn't sound like the group any one of us want to lead, is it? But that's where David is at. And so in this writing in Psalm 34, I think we're going to learn that David is not only something that we can apply to our life because all of us are going to go through trouble, all of us are going to have problems, all of us feel like sometimes God's not listening, all of us feel like sometimes, God, when are you going to answer my prayer? And so how can we respond when, when life is difficult? How can we respond when we have problems? How can we respond when we're waiting? And so you see the title of uh, the message there in your outline this morning, to bless, to be stressed. And that's really what, what David portrays in this psalm. And so think about this for a moment. As he is writing and telling and singing, it's a song of praise to these 400 who are distressed and debt and discontented, he is emulating for them, how should we respond as followers of the Lord when we're stressed out? So let's read it. Psalm chapter 34, right? Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. So we, we see this praise that's continual. We see this praise that's constant. We, we see the praise is communal. It's that we do together. It's what we just did together. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, David says. Let us, even in the cave, even in the waiting, even in the wandering, even in the stress of life, let us come together and worship the Lord. Verse 4, I sought the Lord and he heard me. And delivered me from all my fears. They looked at him and were radiant. Their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out. And the Lord heard him. And saved him out of all his troubles. Verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see the Lord is good. Blesses the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you of the fear of the Lord. See, you see this idea of David instructing them in trouble. How will I respond? Verse, verse 12, who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. I wonder if that was to those who are discontented, right? If it was like specifically targeted there. Verse 14, depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to, put, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears. Isn't that a great word? The righteous cry out and the Lord hears. He delivers them out of their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as a contrite spirit. 
Many, of the afflictions of, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. He guards all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. So if you're following the outline this morning, the first thing we see in these first three verses is David says, praise the Lord. He's going to praise him continually. He's going to pray him constantly. We, we, we're going to praise them together. Let us come together to praise the Lord. And, and I could spend a lot of time unfolding what this looks like. But what I want to do this morning instead of that is I, I want you to turn to Psalm 145. Psalm 145 is, uh, to me, is it a good illustration? It's a good picture for us on how to praise the Lord. And so my challenge for you this week is that this, this week, every morning, that you would get up and you would read Psalm 145. And as you read Psalm 145, that it's not just words on a page. It's you would get into the mindset that David was, that he's just simply going to praise the Lord. So even in the hiding, even in the waiting, even in the struggle, even in the fear that David has, from the cave he's writing Let's praise the Lord together. Psalm 145. I will extol you, my God. God is a personal God. Aren't you, aren't you thankful for that? Did you, did you hear over and over in those videos this morning? I now have a relationship with God. It's not just religion. It's just not knowledge. It's I've given my life to Christ, and as Jesus said, the only way to God is through him. And this is relationship. And God, uh, David says, I will extol you, my God, O king, let's keep reading, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you. I will praise your name forever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. Men shall speak of the night of your awesome acts. I will declare your greatness. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness and shall sing of your righteousness. Verse 8, the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, great in mercy. The Lord is good to all who... In, who and his tender mercies are over all his works. All your works shall praise you, O Lord, and your saints, saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power. To make known the sons of men his mighty acts. And the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures forever throughout all generations. The Lord upholds all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes are all look expectantly to you. And you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, gracious in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call upon him. To all call upon him in truth, he will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He also will hear the cry and save them. The Lord preserves all who love him. But all the wicked will be destroyed. Verse 21, my mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord, and all flesh shall bless his holy name forever and ever. You know, I want to encourage you this week, get up every morning, get your Bible out, and read Psalm 145. And claim the promises that David is speaking of. Praise the name of the Lord. Verse 8 and 9 that here in Psalm 145 says, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, great in mercy. The Lord is good to all. His tender mercies are over all of his works. If you go back into Exodus chapter 34, this was the first time that God revealed his nature to Moses. And this is 
pretty much a quote from that. When you go to the book of Jonah, remember Jonah ran from the call of God. And remember why Jonah ran from God's call to go to Nineveh? is because he said, and he quoted this very word, because God, I knew that you were great. I knew you were compassionate. I knew that you had mercy. This is who God is. And even in the cave, even in the troubles, can we still praise God? In the cave, in the troubles, should we still praise God? So in the good and in the bad and in the waiting, God, you are a great God. God above all gods. The Lord of lords, the King of kings. For God so loved the world, he gave his son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That God demonstrated his love toward us that while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. Is Jesus worthy of your praise? You, you see, it's, it's not about my circumstances. I can't choose my circumstances, but I can choose my attitude. And my attitude, the attitude David is talking about in Psalm 34 is, I choose to praise, even in the waiting. Let's look at number two. Not only should we praise the Lord, but number two is we should seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. And, and as he says here several times, we, we see this idea. Verse 4, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. This poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The young lion lacks and suffer hunger. But those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. A few months ago, we talked about that series called First Fruits. We asked the question, does God get the best of us or the rest of us? And, and this is what David is talking about, that even when I struggle, even when I am waiting, even when I don't sense God working like I wish he would work, I'm going to praise him and I'm going to seek him. That's what Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. That I'm going to seek God first. It's a matter of priorities that even in the cave, David says to his people who, remember, are not very, they're dysfunctional. We'll use that word. And he says, even in the trial, I'm going to lean into God. I'm going to seek God. What you will find that when you are, are in the lowest moments of your life, you will look back on those moments if you leaned into God, if you truly seek God, and you will realize it was in the waiting, and it was in the trials, that you really became closest to God. If you'll seek him. We're going to praise him in the storms. We're going to seek him in the trial. But let's, let's keep reading. Number three, I'm going to praise the Lord. I'm going to seek the Lord. And number three, I'm going to fear the Lord. I'm going to fear the Lord. Verse 7 says, The angel Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Let, let me give you a quick definition of fear of the Lord. because, uh, And really this would be a, a fear of the Lord for those who are followers of Jesus. Here, here's a great definition I, I read this week. The fear of God is respecting him, obeying him, submitting to his discipline, and worshiping him in awe. Let me read that again. The fear of God is respecting him. It's obeying him. It's submitting to his discipline, and it's worshiping him in awe of who he is. I cannot say I fear the Lord if I don't walk in obedience. If I'm not, if I'm not obedient to what I know the Scripture teaches me, then I can't claim that I truly fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is respecting him. It's submitting to him. It's obeying him, and it's worshiping him. 
But look what the promises are given here in this passage for those who fear the Lord. Verse 7, we already read it, but it says, The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Uh, if you were here last Sunday, Pastor Dave uh, brought three of the oddest looking angels I've ever seen, but three angels up here on the stage, right? And, and, and it was a representation, and, and so Brian and Justin and Lee stood up here behind Dave, and, and they actually, they made Dave look small, like Dave's like six foot, six one, these guys are big dudes, kind of scary, and remember what Dave said? Want a piece of me now? <laughs> Dave was pretty brave when his angels were around him. And, and this is what Psalm 91.11, which Pastor Dave read last week. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. To think that nothing is going to come upon you except it's already been through the hand of God and the angels of God. And in this text, look at verse number 7 again. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Most people say this is really not just any angel. The angel means messenger the messenger of the Lord, that what David is saying is that Jesus himself encamps around you if you fear him. When I'm in the cave, and, and you, you, you hear that word encamp, brings the image of battle, which David was in. And when I'm in the cave, and it feels like everything is coming at me, David says, if I will fear God, I will obey him, I will submit to him, and I will worship him, and I will seek him. Jesus will protect me. You see, I often use the phrase, I used to use the phrase, the safest place for you to be is in the center of God's will. And I made that statement a lot when I was young and dumb. I made that statement, honestly, as a youth pastor trying to convince even some of you as parents that you should let your kid go with me on a mission trip. Like, it's the ultimate guilt trip of a youth pastor. I mean, you know, if you don't want your kid to follow the Lord's will, that's up to you. But, I mean, I think he wants him to go. And so you make that statement. The safest place for you to be is in the center of God's will. And that's not accurate. Was Jesus in the center of God's will when he hung on the cross? He was. It wasn't that safe, was it? L let me change one word that makes it accurate. The best place for you to be is in the center of God's will. Understanding this, nothing will happen to me until God wants it to. If I fear God, Jesus encamps me. And protects me. There, there's another promise in this for those who fear God. Let, let's keep reading. Look at verse 9. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lion lacks and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. So there's protection for those who fear the Lord. There's provision for those who, who fear the Lord, that God will provide. Um, this week, well, actually last Sunday, in, uh, as I already mentioned about the first fruits, you know, we, we made this 90-day challenge. About three or four weeks ago, uh, a young lady came up to me, and her and her husband had made this uh, first time they make this commitment. They're going to take the 90-day challenge to tithe. And they come up to me. She saw me in the atrium, and I could tell she wasn't like, this wasn't going to be a happy conversation, and she's kind of stressed out a little bit. And she says to me, how long is this 90-day challenge? And, and I'm a smart aleck. Well, it's 90 days. 
And she smacked me across the face. No, she didn't. She just said, I know that, but when does it end? I said, well, to the end of the year. And then just like you could see the look on her face, oh. I think she was hoping we were on day 89. She said, man, it's been tough. We made a commitment to tithe the first time we were doing this. Wow, it's tough. It's like, yeah, it is. God will provide. And last Sunday, uh, that, was, that was pretty much the conversation. Last Sunday, she comes up to me, and I could tell it was going to be a different conversation. I got to tell you what happened. I got to tell you what happened. Uh, we, we were struggling, and, and I had to put new tires on my car, and bills were coming in, and we just didn't think we could make it. We called my mom and dad, and we're like, Mom and dad, help, you know, or whatever. And, and is this how it's supposed to work? And just questioning, and mom and dad encouraged them and said, Just keep being faithful, keep being faithful. God will provide, God will provide. And then out of nowhere, she goes to check the mail, and there's a check for $1,000 in the mail. Not expected, out of nowhere. She said she grabbed the check, opened the check, just started crying and called mom and dad. Mom and dad, you won't believe. And dad, has this ever happened for you? He's like, no, nobody sent me a thousand bucks. She's like, I just had to tell you that God provided. Isn't it awesome? And you know, you know what I pictured in my mind? I pictured in my mind 30 years from now, 40 years from now. Guess what story she's going to keep telling? How God provided. When we fear God, there's a promise of protection and provision. And that does not mean that there won't be days hiding in the cave. That doesn't mean there's not going to be days when it feels like everything is coming at you. But the promise is Jesus encamps around me. Nothing is going to come to me that hasn't been first filtered by God. Isn't that a great truth of Scripture? So here's the most important thing. We're going to get to it in a minute. I'll get to it in a minute, right? Number four, praise the Lord, seek the Lord, fear the Lord. Number four in this passage, we see trust the Lord. Trust him. David's hiding. He's in danger. He's waiting. He's in trouble. And, and yet he chooses to trust the Lord several times in this scripture. Last week in our Connect groups, uh, Soya mentioned their connect group and how God has used their connect group to connect them to people in the church and have fellowship and, and community. And in our connect groups last week, we talked about an old minor prophet, Habakkuk. And so Habakkuk, in chapters 1 and 2 of Habakkuk, uh, there's this conversation that Habakkuk is having with God. And I think probably all of us have had a similar conversation with God. Because it was basically the gist of it is this, God, I don't see what you're doing and it doesn't make sense to me. Anybody ever had that conversation with God? Uh, God, what's going to happen? And it's similar to really the feeling that you think David has now. I've been anointed as king. I've killed Goliath. I've done all these things for you. And why am I hiding in a cave? I should be the king. That's what David could have been thinking. And so Habakkuk is having this conversation with God. And God is simply saying, trust me, trust me, trust me. I'm in control and I'm good. Trust me. And, and in the last few verses of that chapter of this this book, actually, Habakkuk chapter 3. This is what Habakkuk decides he's going to say. All right, Habakkuk 3, verse 17. He says this, Even though the fig trees have no blossoms, and there are no grapes on the vines. So some of you may have it in your Bible. I would encourage you to underline the words I have underlined. But, but look on the screen here, it says, verse 17, even, even though the fig trees have no blossoms, and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crops fell and the fields lie empty and barren, 
Even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty. Do you see the stage that Habakkuk is setting here? So let's even put it in the context of David. Even though I'm not the king yet, even though I'm hiding in a cave, even though I'm waiting, even though I'm, my life is in the hands of Saul, even though I have this 400 people that are kind of crazy and I'm supposed to lead them now, even, I mean, all, all, on and on and on ago, even though, and so Habakkuk says, God, I don't understand it. God, it doesn't make sense to me. God, we're in trouble. But even though all these things happen, even though the money has run out before the next check is coming, even though, what's his choice to do? Look at verse number 18. I love the first word, yet. Even though I'm waiting and I'm frustrated, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. Do you see, again, this, this idea that I can't choose my circumstances, but I can choose my attitude. And Habakkuk says that even though, fill in the blanks, I trust. Even though, God, the barns are empty, even though I have no money, even though, God, yet I will rejoice. And look at verse number 19. How can he rejoice even though life is terrible? Because the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. And a song that they sing, even though. So here's what I want you to do this morning. As we talk about trusting, just grab a bulletin, or if, if you don't have that, grab the Connect card, grab a pen. There's a pen in front of you, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to write, I want you to fill in the blank. Even though life is, you fill in the blank for yourself. So, so maybe you might be, even though life is uncertain, even though life is scary or lonely or chaotic or depressing, stressful, even though I feel like I'm in a cave, one of the 400 with David, completely stressed out, not knowing what to do, yet I choose to rejoice. I'm going to praise, I'm going to seek, I'm going to fear. Why? Because God is in control and God is good. That's, that's the most important thing for us to land on this morning. If we are in the cave and we believe that God is in control and we believe that God is good, then like David, we will praise him, we will seek him, we will fear him, and we will trust him. Now, look at the last verse of our text this morning, Psalm 34. The very last verse. I, I want to just look at the very last verse, the very last word of the very last verse. Verse 22. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who trust him shall be condemned. Look at that word. Those who trust shall not be condemned. So there's two aspects of trust that I want us to just close on this morning. The first is this. Have you trusted God for your eternal life? The second question, have you trusted God with your everyday life? Do you trust God with your eternal life, and have you trusted God with your everyday life? 
So what David is saying here is if we trust God, there's no, we won't be condemned. It reminded me of a verse in Romans chapter 8. Paul wrote, therefore there is no condemnation to them who are in Christ. So this is speaking to that decision that I'm going to trust God with my eternal life. It's the picture that Dave gave us last week in those containers, that Christ is in me, I am in Christ, and Christ is in God. That if I have made the decision to give my life to Jesus Christ, what Paul said, what David said at the, last, the very last word of Psalm 34 is, if I am in Christ, if I am in the Lord, there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ. What does that mean? There is no condemnation. That means that I can have a relationship with God. It's what they were speaking about on their testimony. It wasn't about religion. It wasn't about showing up to church. It was about I gave my life to Jesus Christ, and because of that decision, I now have a relationship with God, my Father, that was separated because of sin, and therefore there is no condemnation to me. God looks at me, even though I'm still a sinner, forgiven, redeemed, There is therefore no condemnation on me because I belong to God. And I will, because of that decision I made as a 17-year-old to give my life to Christ, I trusted the Lord with my eternal life, and I will spend eternity with God in heaven. So that's the first part of this trust question. Have you trusted the Lord with your eternal life? The second question is a question I have to answer every single day. You see, the first question, have I trusted God in my eternal life? That's a one-time decision. I made that decision as a 17-year-old, and what Ephesians, what Paul talks about, is that it, it describes me as I was once far off, but God brought me near. I was once an orphan, but God adopted me. I was a stranger, but God made me a friend. I was an alien, but God made me a citizen. That was a decision I made as a 17-year-old, and it's a one-time decision. I trusted God with my eternal life. But the next part, am I going to trust God with my everyday life? And I'll be honest with you, sometimes that gets difficult. Sometimes I feel like David in the cave. God, I feel like I've done everything you wanted me to do. And yet, and and here's what we got to land on, even though life is blank. Yet, I rejoice in the Lord because God is in control and God is good. Will you close your eyes with me this morning? God being in control and God being good has nothing to do with your current circumstances. He is in control and He is good whether you're in the cave or in the kingdom. Did you hear that? God is good and God is in control whether you're in the cave or whether you're in the kingdom. This morning, if maybe God revealed to you that you've never made that decision to trust God with your eternal life, you've never given your life to Jesus, like these these three people talked about in their video, that there was a point in time when they gave their life to Jesus Christ. They made the faith not a religion but a relationship. I surrender my life to God. If you've never done that, can I encourage you this morning, in a moment we're going to stand, we're going to sing a song of worship and praise and and a time of response, and I'm going to encourage you. We're going to be, some of us down here, standing here this morning. If you would like to give your life to Christ, to trust Him with your eternal life, then I'm, I'm begging you, I'm pleading with you, when we stand to walk down here, 
shake somebody's hand and say, I want to give my life to Christ. This morning, if you're having a struggle to trust God with your everyday life, then I'm going to encourage you when we stand, come down this morning and make a decision. Even when life is, yet I rejoice because God, I believe that you're in control and that you are good. Would you stand with me this morning as I pray? God, we are blessed to be here. We're blessed to know you. And God, I pray this morning, if there's someone here that has never trusted you with their eternal life, that today they would make that decision. Today would be the day of their salvation. Lord, for many of us in here, if if we are in the struggle, that you would encourage us to step out of that aisle this morning, come down to the front, and recommit. We will trust even though life is stressful. Because you are God and because you are good. Bless this time of worship, Lord. Bless this time of prayer. And may we make the decision that you've asked us to do in the next few moments.